rearrange cool. my back uh, setting of my office. Oh, you did? Yeah. Well, it used to be a uh, dresser back there. Now there's oh, all kinds of cool right. books and everything. I even have over my left shoulder, there's a certificate there. That's the one uh, signed by John F. Kennedy. Oh, my well, grandfather. Yeah. Nice. nice. Uh, and uh, we are we're cool. live. Our 1976 Radio Shack camcorder just kicked in. So <laughs> we're only the best for our um, over 50 starting over. Welcome aboard, everybody. I'm Barry Edwards. And I'm Merle Garrison. And it's a show is divided up into three segments. Basically, though, it's kind of fluid. We do um, our over 50 starting over segment, which is about helping people uh, get kickstarted with their careers or finding their career of passion, refinding their passion in their careers. And then we kind of segue into something of a metaphysical, maybe a religion talk. And somehow that leads to current events and politics. So right? it's, it's like Cleveland weather. If you don't like what we're saying, just wait a few minutes. It'll change. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> well, that's the standing joke for Cleveland. That's for sure. Uh, with, uh, with the weather. So Merle today with the over 50 starting over part, I wanted to talk about a blog post that I created about six months ago. Mm. And it was a, it's about the lean canvas and, it's a it's a really great way for somebody to start a business. You could actually use it even, even if you're about to kick off a new uh, service, product or service, you could use it in that regard. It is the answer to the common business plan. And if you're like most people, you hear business plan and you just it's kind of like, oh, uh, it's kind of like doing your taxes, you know? Right, it's, right. Ah, yeah, where do you even start? Well, the lean canvas was started by someone in Silicon Valley, as I recall, and back when they were doing startups left and right, you know, it was really booming. And uh, they didn't want, they wanted to stay lean and agile as uh, things were expanding. And the average business plan just takes way too long. Uh, it's, you, you, you need to do a business plan if you want to get funding like uh, from right. banks and so on. So you'll need to do it in that case. However, if you're starting up your own venture, you definitely want to do the lean canvas. And I will, for those that actually uh, watch on YouTube, I'm going to turn it over to that for a moment, if I can find it. And, um, uh, boy, I got to find it first, but uh, I'll turn it over there to take a quick look at it, but I'll just, but I'll describe it for most people are actually listening on a podcast and what it is, is the, uh, it's, it's a series of what, eight, eight different segments, nine or 10. And it, you establish what the problem is that you are offering to your target audience and Generally, you want to establish about three different ones, and then the solutions that you offer. You put in your key metrics, and that is how you're going to measure your success. And by the way, all of this can be found at edwards, edwardscom.net slash lean. That will take you to the uh, blog post where I have the free download for you. I created this in PowerPoint so that it's interactive for you. And I put in a, um, a sample. The sample is of Susan, who is a personal trainer slash nutritionist. And, and I filled it out in her voice. Okay. And 
So I, I mentioned the problem, solution, the key metrics. Then you have the unique, unique, your unique value proposition. That's something that I help my clients out with a lot. Finding your unique value proposition is harder than you think. Most of and I do suggest that you just fill this out in like 20 minutes to start off with, because you'll get stuck. You know, you'll get stuck and it'll be uh, the paralysis by analysis thing. But mm -hmm. If you fill it out in mm -hmm. 20 minutes, then come back because it'll get in your head and you'll start thinking about it. And then you'll come back. And I say this when I got to the unique value proposition because, man, you're going to give yourselves, you know, you're going to be about quality and all the other uh, most common things that we say uh, when you first start off. But the practice that I take most of my clients through to find their unique value propositions is if I can't get them out to a bar and have a few beers, then I talk to them in the office in that, in that regard. Get them going, get them relaxed, wait until they start swearing a little bit. You know, that's when people get really get through their jargon of what they think right. they're supposed to say. And, uh, but literally if you can get somebody in the space of, uh, if they're at, if you're at the bar having a happy hour, there are a couple beers in and you're just like, yeah, why did you get started in this? You can take that word for word, extract the swear words and put it down. That's their unique value proposition. Gotcha. Right that's, that's the true passion behind it. Uh -huh. After that, I, and I did, I, I got to try and find this, uh, screen switcheroo again. I gave up on it there for a minute. Um, uh, let's see, let's see. Audio, video, I am not seeing it. Uh, and I don't want to waste any more time, so I'm not going to search for it anymore. So after unique value proposition, you have your unfair advantage. That is what you bring uniquely that competition can't just steal from you. Okay. It's maybe you're an award winner of some, of some type of more probable. It's that you've had unique experiences that have led you to develop the solutions that you're offering. So you need to identify those. What channels are you going to use to find your customers such as, um, the example with Susan, the, uh, trainer and nutritionist. Now, first of all, her audience uh, she wants to target post-pregnancy women that are mm -hmm. like 25 to 35 years old, have an income of like 100K plus a total family income, uh, or the midlife crisis mom, 40 to 50, and about 120K. So we're trying to get a few different audiences here so you know exactly who you're talking to. And uh, then she wants to do group fitness, a uh, group classes. And this is for people of a little bit less income so that, but they will come to a group class, women anywhere from 20 to 60 years old, but 50 K to 90 K is the household family income. So then you, if I didn't mention, you want to identify what channels you're going to, uh, reach out. You're going to find this target audience at such as the local gym, uh, Facebook ads, and word of mouth in, in this particular case. And then finally, at the bottom, you have the cost structure versus revenue streams. Quite simply, this is the cost structure is totaling up all of your expenses. And in Susan's case here, be like Facebook ads, budgeting for that, the hosting of her group classes, you know, for the gym, uh, car and gas. So car payment and gas that it takes to do the traveling that she needs to. And, um, 
in her case, that total would be, it is uh, the example is thirteen thousand six hundred. Okay, versus revenue streams. <clears throat> Remember, you and I talked a, a few weeks back about having alternate revenue streams, not just one. And so if there's a couple different ways as an entrepreneur, you can make money, such as teaching classes, as I did for so many years, and uh, along with your one-on-one -on -one coaching, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a must for most people. So mm -hmm. in her revenue stream, she does the one-on-one. -on -one, that's the main, her mainstay. It's, she can do three sessions a day at $90 an hour. That equals uh, $5,400 a month. Group sessions, if she could do 15 people at $10 each uh, times the two weeks, that equals $1,200 a month. So as soon as you get that stuff down on paper, now you get to see, well, either I can increase my Facebook ads or I got to decrease some costs somewhere mm -hmm. if you're not adding up to where you need to be. You mm -hmm. need to use you know, very conservative uh estimates so that you're not going into debt. But all of these things are a great way to get you started on what you need to do to market yourself. First and foremost, it starts with putting that target audience down on paper. Okay. And like I said, three different segments of them. So you really get a feel for who they are, what they like, where they can be found. And what uh, what kind of money that you can get away with charging and uh, your unique value proposition when you have that completely nailed down, okay, like me, as I do online marketing for people, that's such a broad thing to say. But what do I really do? What is my real niche? I create an online presence that is organic, that when when I identify somebody's unique value propositions, I position their niche services properly and I increase their SEO so they're getting search engine optimization. Thank so, they're getting, you. <laughs> so they're getting as much organic traffic as possible. They're also converting those, as many of those as possible, before they're spending a ton of money on Facebook ads or Google AdWords and those kinds of things. Right. That's my niche. Okay. So this is my point. When you really know and understand it, what your unique value propositions are, then you can go out confidently. And first of all, it's going to be all over your website. If you're going to start doing Facebook ads, Google AdWords, now you know what to say in your marketing pitches. When you go out networking, looking to rub shoulders with your proper uh, target market and so on, you know what to squeeze into the conversation. And, and it's always going to be something, oh, Wow. Okay. Never thought of that. That's interesting. So this is a great place to start. And I want to tell you again, it's easy to find. I'll put the link in our show notes, but it's at edwardscom.net slash lean, or just look it up in the show notes and you can download your, and I have a video there that explains this maybe a little more eloquently than I just stumbled through. Uh, so you can look at that. And it's a full blog post explaining how to fill this out. Uh, so that's that's that for over 50 starting over part. Download your free PowerPoint there. So I would imagine in working with people and putting together the business plan, you've used this uh, this lean 
uh, document before, Barry? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I almost use it more myself for my own purposes than I do with a client. So I have to go through, as a matter of fact, I use my own. I don't mention this much. It is in the video on this blog post, though. I talk about my over 50 starting over classes that I have not done an official launch of because I still feel that I, I have to I have to whittle them down to make them simpler. I go into a lot of detail with all of my stuff, but with all of the aspects of my classes, I have interactive PDF handouts, questions, mm-hmm. uh, identifying your own unique value proposition. I have uh, PDF handouts that I use with my clients and I just go right through there and fill them all out so that I can then come back and put all this information together and build out a website that gets right to the point. And a website, when it's for your own personal business, you have got to speak to your potential, your prospect within the first two seconds. As soon as they hit that site, they better know uh, what you're about, what you're offering, or because trust me, they have your competition pulled up in tabs and they're mm-hmm. just flipping through these, trying to find what they're looking for as fast as possible because we're all inundated with everything. So yes, you need to, uh, fill these forms out. It's, it's like the SEO, the search engine optimization. I also have a couple of interactive forms for that because it, that is such a cumbersome process. And, their SEO is largely about getting into online citations. And that is first you want to fill out your Google My Business page. And that needs to be recorded on my interactive PDF because then you go to yellowpages.com, Yahoo, all of these myriad of other directories and try to get your information in there. And you're going to use aspects of all that. So you don't want to duplicate all of that work over and over again. And, and mostly you don't want to put different things in each of them. Then Google will see dis- discrepancies and lower your ranking in their algorithms. Mm. Now, so, now, the search engine op- optimization part, obviously that's a really important thing. Does that cost is. money to make that happen on each of these search engines? Do they charge for that? Yeah, wow. That's uh, such a big question right there. So in my class on that, that segment of the class, I go through all of that. The search engine optimization is a game of spending the least amount of money possible with getting Mm -hmm. the most results, of course. And so I take you through everything that you can do on your own to get ranked as high as possible. I, because I found, look, if you're an auto mechanic in an area, you're pulling from five to 10 mile radius of of shop. It's, it's a lot easier to get ranked, to beat out your competition than it is for a dentist who's also looking to get their clientele from a five to 10 mile radius because the competition's so stiff. People in the mechanic industry, they just don't care as much, so they don't put effort into it. So if you're the one that puts the effort into it, you don't have to put uh, real money behind it. You can do it. Your, I say you can do it yourself if you're a little bit tech savvy, you know, mm-hmm, and if you mm-hmm. follow... If you follow my process, you can get through it and get ranked. And the higher the competition, the more money uh, it is for a conversion or evaluation, then the more money the smart person is going to put behind that. Okay, so if I have a, 
a client that has an average conversion of about $3,000. All right. Now, and if you can pull in five of those uh, a month, well, that's $15,000 that you could be leaving on the table if you're not if you're not taking your brand seriously enough and your search engine optimizations uh, seriously enough. And at that point, you should be using Google AdWords as well. So you have to figure out how much per client. Now, now you may have only a $200 valuation for uh, bringing on a new client, but what if there, it's a mass quantity that you can service? Right. <clears throat> then you still have to figure out how much money potentially could be leaving on the table right there. Um, so that is the case. So with the uh, self-employed people, the over 50 starting over crowd that we typically talk to, I like to uh, try to offer DIY solutions for them. But if you're at the point where you're leaving money on the table, then I'm also available then to hire for one-on-one -on -one work. Um, so that you can get the most bang for your buck and, and bring in, don't leave dollars on the table. Now that leads me to this question, Barry, because I think a lot of people in our position for over 50 starting over like myself are, are thinking, gosh, now I have all these ideas, but where do I get started and how do I make this happen? I mean, this is a question that goes through my head and I'm sure I'm not the only one. So, okay, I've got this idea. I put together a business plan uh, with you and that now I've got this plan, which is probably going to eliminate a lot of anxiety about the whole thing because I'm very confident now about this plan, but now I need funding. Where do I go for that? Oh, that's uh, that's all kind. Of, that's all over the place. Well, first of all, you can open up a couple new credit cards. That's what a lot of us do. Um, and secondly, there's angel funding. If you have a very good, uh, solid concept, then you can get angel funding, and you can find that through different organizations. Like I, I would last night, I was at a networking gig for Jumpstart. And I really like that organization. And there's other organizations like that around here in Cleveland, such as Team Neo, that these organizations are all about trying to help people get started, get on their feet. And mm -hmm. they don't talk amongst themselves a lot. So I, I've been actively trying to get people, these people in the same room together. And they do things like walk you through this lean canvas that I'm talking about. They'll uh -huh. help you go through it. They will help you with, uh, set you up with, it's called angel funding. Okay. People that like, it's, you know, it's like shark tank. Almost everyone's seen the show shark tank where you get in front of some investors, you give your pitch and they will offer you X amount of money. And it's, you know, it's always at a cost. It's, uh, uh, and then, you know, there's your local bank as well. Some banks are more aggressive than others about helping fund uh, small businesses. But, you know, the right bank with the right people can help you out dramatically. Hmm. Great advice, Barry. I really like that. Uh, I, obviously, now, people in our age bracket, a lot of people are thinking about going into consulting. And yeah. so, you know, and it sounds, it sounds great. Hey, I'm a consultant. But... 
obviously you've got to be a consultant about something and somewhere. So would you recommend the same process for somebody that's looking to be able to become a consultant? Is that really the process they would go through? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we've talked about it before when somebody wants to open up their consultancy practice, that is probably the most natural avenue to go through. If you've spent the last 30 years of your life in a particular field, you probably like it at least to uh, a large extent if, if that's why you stayed in there. So it's rather natural to want to finally go out on your own, prove to yourself, that's what it is a lot of times, you want to prove to yourself that you can do this. You've, you've been talking tough for decades now about how you could do this better than your boss. So now it's time to uh, you know, <laughs> put your money where your mouth is. And yeah, you definitely want to start the link canvas. And it's also probably going to be a bit easier for somebody that's opening up a consultancy with their expertise in the field. They probably, they know who their target market is. If you don't, let me tell you something, just make a short list of the, your favorite clients over the last five years by name Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. write down the demographics. Ask yourself why? Well, that's the target audience you want to reach out to. If you want to be happy, you know, uh, you can target whoever you want. Now the, the, the question of financing comes in on this because, okay, here, here, for instance, myself, if I wanted to go in and do that, obviously there's an uphill battle of getting clients first and, and, and making money. And, and so is that something where people would invest in that or that you would go to the bank and get a loan so that you could float yourself until you start to make money? What is your advice in that area? It's going to be different for everyone. Now, if you if you can get away without financing, obviously that's what you want to get. Right. No matter how you look at it, it's like taking out a credit card, okay, mm-hmm. and starting mm-hmm. to put money on a credit card. So, uh, probably, again, it depends on the field that you're going into. Because if you're going to open up your own dental practice, that's a whole different thing from opening up a, a new business consultancy, okay. Right. So most of us, I'm mostly talking to people that, oh, I'm going to do my fitness thing, like the example with the Lean uh, Canvas. That's still a consultancy. If you're going to do some business-to-business consultancy, like like I do uh, with marketing, if you're going out on your own, probably the, the number one thing that you need to do is, well, it certainly is. Get your entire online presence together first. And that is, you know, go through the Lean Canvas and figure out your unique value propositions. Get your website together. I have information on how to do that, whether it's a DIY approach, outsourcing, <clears throat> or hiring a full-fledged agency. And so you have to decide uh, where your needs are and what you can get away with and what your own aptitudes are. Okay, so from there, you may want to put together a webinar to attract uh, people. You could float that out on Facebook and LinkedIn. If you have enough of a presence, you won't even need to put money behind it to get uh, some people that are attracted to that. Now, out of the people that are attracted to your webinar, you're looking to make a sale. You're looking to sell your services. So you want to float out a lot of free advice about what you offer so that you can prove that you're the expert on this particular niche. And then hopefully you can land a few customers out of that. And all of that you can do on your own. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah, it does. 
without yeah. dollars. You just do I, it I love the without dollars part. Yeah. Yep, yep. Blood, well, and it's and based tears. on really everything that the person put into it in the first place. Yeah. Like you're saying, the blood, sweat, and tears part, that was a yeah. big investment. Yes. You know, Barry, uh, as I've been looking at the comments that we've been getting back from a lot of our our fans out there that are listening to the podcast, it's so encouraging. Um, I think I've sent you a few of them, and I'm I'm struggling for the name of one of them, but uh, he had sent in a a, a great compliment that he's listening to our show. He finds it very good, but uh, he was talking about how he had been uh, a sales leader for some time and got really um, eliminated from the business, let's use that euphemism, and then thought he was going to go into semi-retirement. But then he ends up finding a job as a chief operating officer. So there's a big difference between being in sales all your life, especially at this age, and then going into operations. And I have to say, I wrote back to him, I was really inspired by that because Mm -hmm. You know, as you look at whatever it is you've been doing for the last 30 years, some people feel like they're trapped in that because this is where I've made mm-hmm. my money. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one's going to hire me to do something different because I don't have the experience here. But the the encouraging thing is that the skills that many people have acquired over many, many years are very transferable. And if we open up our minds and also speak to many counselors, wise counsel, it seems like you can really do whatever it is you put your heart into. And that's something I've been thinking a lot about over the past couple of weeks is, you know, dreams. And as we talked a couple of uh, weeks ago about uh, one of my mentors who had had talked about writing things down. What is it that you want to be able to do? And, uh, you know, I've come up with some pretty interesting things that are way different than what I'm used to doing or Mm -hmm. what I'm in doing. And that's been pretty fun, actually. One of the things that um, that I started thinking about is, and it has a lot to do with this podcast that we do, but there was a person on the radio that I used to admire. His name was Frank Pastore. He died several years ago in a, uh, in a terrible motorcycle accident, actually, but what a great guy. And he had this show on the radio called The Intersection of Faith and Reason, and he would combine his superior knowledge of politics, his knowledge of the Bible, and the knowledge of history together. And it was a show where people could, of course, he would pontificate at the beginning of the show, and then he would have people call in. And many people disagreed with his premise, but he's very well prepared. And it was a very entertaining show. And when he died, it really left a void. There's no other show like that out there. And I started thinking, Boy, that that seems like something I would really love to oh, be able to do. And yeah. there's a there's a void out there now. And so, but then it comes down to the how do you get started? And that's where your mind starts to or can work against you. You know, mm-hmm. it's the late at night where you're lying down and you're thinking, boy, I, I'd really like to do that. But then <clears throat> it's almost like a chorus of other voices come in and say, you can't do that. What are you thinking? That's ridiculous. And uh, that's the hard part. That's the part that you, that that's hard to overcome. And what I have found is plugging myself into uh, positive 
thinking mediums that help me to direct my mind into the right place. And I brought up this book. I sent you a couple of quotes over the week from the uh, power of positive thinking. And I was uh, reading about this trapeze artist that had uh, uh, been teaching his students how the trade, I can't imagine <laughs> like trying to learn this, but uh, he had this guy, he showed him everything to do. And he said, okay, now jump up there. And the guy froze. He was, he was like, I can't do this. I can't do this. And the guy said, yes, you can. And I'll show you exactly how. First, throw your heart over the bar and your body will follow. And I thought that was such great advice that really you've got to visualize it. You got to put your put yourself in that position and see yourself as successful first. And and really, it goes on to talk about how powerful the mind is. Uh, there was a quote that I read that uh, says, uh, "Be careful what you think about because that's what you're going to get." And when I really think about the things that I've been able to achieve and the things that I failed at in my life, I can go back to what it was that I'd been dwelling on. And so what a powerful thing that you're talking about in the beginning uh, of this uh, lean program where you're writing these things down, which really focuses your mind in that direction and helps you to be very confident about whatever. Oh, there it is. It helps you to yes. be very confident about what it is that you're doing. I, I've also found that, and it's biblical, uh, that uh, writing things down is a very powerful weapon against all of the anxieties and fears. I remember writing some things down about the successes I was looking to be able to get out of a company I was working for, Extension Healthcare. And I wrote down seven outrageous things, like bigger than I could even dream. I wrote them down and I put them on a, a, a three by five card and I kept them on my desk. Every day I would look at those things. They seemed impossible. After five years of working there, when we sold the company, all seven of those things had come true. Wow. And so it's, it's, it's an amazing thing. I just want to put that out there just because I know people are listening and these are things that absolutely work. They, if they worked for me, guaranteed they'll work for you too. Yeah, that's great advice. Another thing that, um, the author of that book you were talking about that he said that I like is. I like I follow more Buddhist practices for the most right. part in my uh, spiritual uh, practices. And so meditation, and for me, meditation is so difficult. I don't I rarely sit somewhere and do the traditional meditation. But what I do, this sounds this is gonna sound strange to people, is when I go to the gym and do my cardio. And mm -hmm. I'm just on a hamster wheel, basically doing the same thing for, you know, 10, 15 minutes or whatever. That's what I meditate for one. I like it because my body is preoccupied and I'm burning off the nervous. You know how hard it is to sit there, sit still and clear your mind and, and meditate and then try to visualize getting to the point that you were talking about, then trying to visualize about these positive things that you want to manifest and that, well, there is no wrong way to meditate. And so whatever works for you, bicycling. Bicycling is my favorite thing in the world. And when I'm out there in nature going down Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, which is just gorgeous, 
on a, on a beautiful summer day, trust me, that's very meditational for me. You know, it puts me in a good positive place. And that's, a, that's the point where you want to start feeding your mind all the right stuff. What, what I wanted to say about what that author said is he said, we all get battle so many, so many negative thoughts at points in our lives, at points in our day. And so you need to quiet your mind <clears throat> in order to get rid of those negative thoughts, but you're going to fill it, your mind back up with something. So make sure it's positive stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I like that. I, I, I that do really too. stuck with me. I think that's so important, Barry. What you're saying is don't leave your mind a blank canvas because if you do It'll that, get... it's almost guaranteed yeah. bad stuff is going to come in there. So in our media, for sure. That's all uh, they throw out. At you. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Great stuff, Barry. Really love yeah. that. Yeah. It's, I think this is really helpful stuff. You know, if we want to segue into I think our we should. more metaphysical part, uh, Last week, I, I threw out there, one of these days, I wanted to touch on UFOs. And you were like, yeah, <laughs> you want to talk about that Yeah, stuff? why not? I yeah, think why that's not? fun. Why don't you go first? Sure. I was, before I met, I wanted to do this, I wanted to actually load up some YouTube things that I could actually reference and tell people, well, go check this out and, and all that. But I was really rushed today. It was all I could do to get here on time. So, so I don't have it, but I... I'm prepared to talk about it for sure. Yeah. I love looking up this kind of stuff. I love watching shows, good ones. I always check the reviews first that give you the latest breakdowns on uh, possible UFO sightings or abductions and all that stuff. And do I believe in that? I don't know. I don't know. I tend to uh, because there's, there's just too much evidence out there, like strong evidence. But at the same time, I'm a healthy skeptic. Like, can most of these things be uh, government uh, things, experiments? And I think a large part of them can be. But you know what? I always remember a headline in it was from like the 50s, sometime in the 50s, it, in the newspapers, man, all over the place, like all over the world. There's pictures of uh, discs, flying discs all around the White House. And it was like that. I think that's when the flying saucer term got coined. Right. And, <clears throat> and so there's that one that was never explained. Then do you know about that one a few years back? Yeah, I say a few more like 10, 15 years ago, but it centered around Phoenix, Arizona, but it was Arizona. Thousands of people saw this gigantic ship. They talked, they, everybody described it as a giant wedge. There's mm -hmm. minor mm -hmm. video of it. You would think that there'd be fantastic video, but it was all at night. And they right. said it was like a mountain going through the air. It was mm. so big. And so it, this went through several cities and with all of these different sightings. So hard to explain. It's hard to explain away that one. Um, but you and I briefly talked about there's military footage out there now that has been released. And you can look up the YouTube videos and there are several different ones. And and then there's a lot of specials that are have come out in in the last 10 years or so of a lot of government of retired government officials, uh, astronauts and uh, people like that that have come clean and said, you wouldn't believe the stuff I've seen and then describe it. So there's a lot of evidence out there, but I don't know what to do with it all, but I find it fun. 
I, I yeah. definitely find it fun. You, what's your take on all? Of this? Well, you know, I I have to admit that um, growing up, I've always been fascinated by this as well. In fact, <laughs> funny story. The first speech I ever gave, and I love giving speeches, I love getting up in front of people, I love the attention, and I was in fifth grade, and my first speech was on UFOs. Interestingly, my teacher had decided to videotape these speeches, which is almost cruel and unusual. The, your first speech, and it's going to oh, yeah. be on a videotape, and you're in fifth grade. And uh, I remember I had my note cards in front of me. I was going to talk all about this. And within about 10 seconds, I started to have a panic attack, and I thought I was having a heart attack. And I grabbed my heart, and um, and I ran uh, I ran away from the, the podium. Really? And, uh, That's a big yeah, story. You never uh, told me that. I, I ran out into the hallway, and my teacher came out there to counsel me. Well, when I came back, there was a guy in, in our class that was sort of the AV guy. He was playing over and over again, <laughs> clutching my heart after I mentioned UFOs and running out of the room. And they were saying, I, I almost wish I hadn't heard this, but they were saying, it looks like the, the aliens beamed down something to affect his heart. <laughs> and he had to run out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> so that story's hilarious. That was you that never was, told me that. Uh, How did you go into sales and become such a a gregarious, out, extroverted person after that? Okay, shaping? that's a good question. That yeah. made me angry that that happened and that they oh. all made fun of me. And this is the type of personality that I have: is that anything that seemed too hard for me, it was like I'm going to prove that I can do this. And so I started to work on that and, and put myself in that position more and more and it, until it became something that I was used to and then something that I could almost brag about. So uh, it's, it's almost everything in life. Whenever something – it's almost like, <clears throat> okay, I know my wife is watching, but uh, if you tell me I can't do it, guaranteed I'm doing it. <laughs> just, yeah. It's going to happen. But uh, that was my first experience. Always been interested in UFOs. And I have to admit, there's something that's happening up there. Uh, you can't deny it. There's too many uh, examples. We have videotape of things. And now the military, you mentioned retired military people that uh, have been talking about, you You wouldn't believe what I've seen. And the funny thing is, is what in my research is a lot of these people in the military that have said these types of things end up becoming retired real quick. <laughs> uh, they get sure. rid of these people. But uh, the, within the last year, uh, the military has, <clears throat> the U.S. military has come out and said and confirmed, yes, these are UFOs. That, what is a UFO? It's an unidentified flying object. Sure. It doesn't, doesn't mean that mean it's aliens or something like that, but it's still unidentified. And the interesting thing that I learned was that these pilots, uh, test pilots, uh, you know, different radar stations. Uh, they've seen these things before. People have seen things with the naked eye. You can go online and see some really amazing things. Yeah. But the military recently upgraded their radar systems and their jets. And that's really when they started to see things that they couldn't even see with the naked eye. Mm -hmm. And lots of things started to come out until it became undeniable that there were ufos out there and the and the military had to admit that 
for the first time, actually. And I'm looking at that and thinking, okay, well, what does that mean? I tend to believe what you had said, or I want to believe what you had said earlier, that these were maybe some type of secret military type of technology. But the interesting thing that I learned from some of the videos I've seen is that it is physically impossible I was gonna bring this up these types of objects to be moving at the rate of speed they're moving they're moving at right angles uh, if if there were some type of pilot in these things uh, that they would be dead if they the tried G-force to maneuver something like that right and here's the other thing that's very interesting there's different different objects that we're seeing many of them appear to be made of light and um they which is also very interesting so what what could it be well <clears throat> personally uh, as a christian i don't believe that there are aliens out there because it says that god made man in his own image and so what the premise of aliens is is that there is some type of living life form out there that's far advanced than we are as human beings well, if God made us in his image, well, how could he have made people far more advanced than us? I don't believe in evolution. I believe that uh, if we look at human history, that, um, uh, I, for instance, I study Aristotle. Um, I don't think there's a lot smarter people out there than that guy was. Uh, it doesn't seem like we've evolved mentally uh, at least in human history, the, what's actually written. So it, th- th- I have to rule that part out from in my faith. However, uh, in my faith, it also, um, you look at the book of Genesis, and you can see that it is possible for spiritual beings to manifest themselves in the physical. We've seen even... Um, in uh, the Gospels, where the announcement the angel makes that uh, Jesus is born and the shepherds are there, and the whole place where the shepherds are when they're looking at the uh, angel <clears throat> is filled with light. So, angelic beings, whether they're angels or demons, can appear as light. And I just believe that there could be a spiritual aspect to what we're seeing here. One spiritual aspect could be that if I'm on the if I'm on the dark side, it says that uh, Satan uh, comes and appears as light. And so, wouldn't it be? I mean, if I'm Satan, wouldn't it be advantageous for me to get people to believe? that there are more advanced beings who are aliens from another planet, which would completely discredit what it says in the Bible. These are things that I ponder. I don't know the answer, but I think it's pretty interesting. It's fun. Think? <laughs> it's fun. I mean, it's really fun. fun. Like, like Roswell. Okay. Yes. yes. What is over there? What? Oh, well, the, the incident itself, I saw so many specials on that yeah. and man, they backtracked on that real quick like if at first they 
you know, oh yeah, this, this is material here that we don't know what it is. It's unlike anything. Then it was all of a sudden a weather balloon. Um, you know, the, the stories about the aliens that they found, um, there's some very credible information out there, but it's so old now that things get blurry with time, regardless when people die, you know, die off and everything all of a sudden it's folklore you know right right exactly so there's that kind of stuff all of the stories of ab abductions i am sure a lot of people are just loony uh and some are liars but the amount of them there's got to be just a mathematical equation that equals some credibility there out of out of all of them in the consistency yeah. so yeah and then you know, there's trillions of freaking planets out there. I think it's egotistical to think that we're the only intelligent beings. I mean, even even Mars, we just recently discovered proof that there's water under the surface. To me, then there's got to be almost got to be like at least microbiology, whatever that term is, microorganisms. That's the term, you know, life to some extent, can it be 100% dead? I just don't think it makes sense. And I, like I said, I think it's egotistical to think that we are the only intelligent forms. And, and you know, with your biblical uh, look at things, I always think that because you and I are absolutely more, way closer in what we agree upon religiously than we are apart. And I think the only division is that I believe that the Bible is inspired by God, written by humans. And when anytime humans get a hold of something, they're going to put their take on things in there. And that's where things go off the rails. And we're also trying to explain things the best way we could at, at that time, you know, uh, very, very impressively, though, but that's the uh, the godly inspiration, in my opinion. Back to aliens, UFOs, and all that. I find it absolutely fascinating. Like you said, the physics part of it. We have <clears throat> we have video recordings of these objects defying physics altogether. How do you explain that? We don't even, we're barely getting a grip on quantum mechanics right now. Our brains just really can't grasp it yet, but it's coming. And as we get to that, I think we're going to find that there are infinite d dimensions. And as we can move between these infinite dimensions, probably that's where we start defying physics. And, and first of all, even if even if there is intelligent life out there, we do not, I don't care what anybody says, we do not have the technology to reach it in a lifetime currently. Um, until we unlock some of the quantum uh, mechanics behind these things, in my opinion. And I would just add to that, I have a funny story to tell, but I do want to just backtrack on something you said about, I totally agree with you about the Bible being inspired by God. And uh, where, but where we differ is that uh, the Bible says about itself that every word in the Bible is God breathed. In other words, that humans wrote it, they used their personality to write it. God created them for such a time as that. However, these words were inspired words. In other words, they're words that he used through the people to come through themselves. I do believe that there are <clears throat> certain parts of the Bible where 
people that were writing the Bible, for instance, in the book of Revelation, where John was seeing things that he may not have been able to explain, um, but there are things that are certainly happening now because he may not have understood the technology that was being used. So I'll agree with you on that. One of the things that I found about the Bible is that there is nothing in it that you can prove is wrong. And, and, and so far, no one has been able to do that. that. That's not something you can say about any other so-called religious book out there. So I, I'll just add that out there. But let me tell you a funny story. Okay. Um, Roswell. So my brother, Scott, as you know, <clears throat> is sort of a comedian. And oh, yeah. we were talking about uh, politics. And he was saying, this was years ago, he was saying this is, you got all these presidents that, uh, that as they're campaigning, they're talking about all the things they're going to go and do. But then when they become the president, they don't do anything of that they say that they're going to do. And his theory was that immediately upon inauguration, they take the president on Air Force One over to Roswell, and they introduce him to the alien. And the alien actually tells the president, here's what you're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> and if hey, you don't do it, I'm zapping everyone in the world. <laughs> so. That's that's kind of funny, and it kind of it goes along with um, there's the talk about when we've done nuclear testing that people see uh, UFOs and things shut down and all that. It's like, you know, that's the one thing that pisses off aliens to the point where they'll risk being seen. You know, um, it's interesting you're saying that because I, I'm a big World War II guy, and uh, my brother introduced me to what's called the Foo Fighters. Of course, there's a band called Foo Fighters. They're named after this. Mm. Um, that uh, the, as you know, there were all these missions over Europe that they, the bombing missions that they flew. And these pilots are on record as saying that they were seeing these orbs on either side of the wings as they were flying. Yeah. And yeah. they called them Foo Fighters. So, I mean, this goes back for a while. Mm -hmm. and, and it seems to me that uh, most of this happened starting in the 1900s going forward. But, you know, remember that Chariots of the Gods movie um, documentary from a long time ago? They, they say that there were certain things that are recorded, you know, etchings and things that they found that could also be representing UFOs as well. But I do believe that as technology has in increased, people are seeing these more and more. And uh, I've not seen one before, but mm -hmm. you look online and there sure is a lot of information about this and a, and a lot of really spooky videos out there too yeah. of course yeah. people could you know make this up but when the military shows you this type of thing it that lends a lot of credence to the reality that something's out there there's just too many people highly credible people uh in in very important positions <clears throat> that attest to uh having contact with uh the UFOs having seen the actual technology. Let me ask you quickly. Okay, clearly the government has admitted to covering up past projects, the Project Blue right. Book and all that. They've admitted right. that. Why do you think the government is in, try always trying to deny 
the the uh, having te- having this technology, having found UFOs, having proof of it, having maybe seen or captured an alien. If if that is true, why do you think they are have always been so dead set on denying that? Well, as as I said earlier, I don't really believe that they've found any aliens. But I said I, hypothetically. I do believe that um, technology is a, and this kind of leads into our our uh, current event segment sure. as well. Mm-hmm. I do believe that it's important for the military to be able to keep things under wraps so that our enemies wouldn't steal those types of secrets. Um, If they don't know about a certain thing or if it's brushed off as, oh, this is, you know, this isn't anything right here, this is all a hoax, Mm -hmm. then maybe other governments would not be inspired to come in and steal those types of secrets through espionage. Or share the technology. Right, right. Um, We talked about the the Space Force Mm -hmm. um, a few weeks ago, which I found very interesting, especially when it comes to dealing with China and how China has actually put a lot of resources into their own Space Force. In fact, that they're currently developing um, cruisers and battleships for space. And as I mentioned before, these types of uh, battleships could take out our satellites, which would destroy our communications here. We wouldn't be able to communicate. They can take down our our power grids from there. They could actually take solar energy and beam that to any point on the earth uh, to empower our enemies against us. And like you said, it would cripple us. So Mm -hmm. uh, this is why uh, we, the president has insisted on developing our own space force. But if you start looking at China and the news lately, there's some pretty startling things out there that are going on right now, Barry. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think you... the coronavirus might take care of that. <clears throat> the coronavirus joking. is, but at the same time, the coronavirus is on the top of my list because I don't know if you've been paying attention lately. A little bit. Mm-hmm. The, there is speculation out there. The, the original speculation was that the coronavirus started from the Chinese food market in Wuhan uh, where people are eating bats. I don't know if you'd heard that before, no. but uh, that that's, that <clears throat> seemed to be a viable answer to why this coronavirus started. However, recently, the Chinese scientists themselves have come out and said that, no, that is not where uh, the coronavirus has started. Now, I didn't know this until this week, but there is a super lab that is in that's located right there in Wuhan and the lab i don't know if you knew this but most of our drugs our pharmaceuticals come from china especially antibiotics and so there's a lot of laboratories and testing that is going on and this super lab in Wuhan is a pathogen lab so they study uh viruses and there is speculation that possibly the coronavirus started there. Now, I'm not saying that nobody is saying that they created it on purpose to kill people or they created it on purpose to use against their enemies, although those are possibilities and we've seen that type of thing in the past. 
Uh, however, the interesting thing is that the Chinese government uh, will not allow a an international force of scientists to come into Wuhan to help study this and where it all started. In other words, the communist government of China is keeping everybody out of there so that they can't take a look at that. Of course, that raises a lot of red flags uh, as to, okay, what really is going on? And I don't know, have you seen any videos out there of how the coronavirus is being enforced in China? Uh, I did a week or two ago. I told you about it that I was pretty impressed that they were erecting a hospital that was like over the weekend. Right. That was to house like a thousand patients. So, so now they're doing that. that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. But I've also seen videos now where they are forcibly removing people from their houses and dragging them into uh, beating them and then dragging them into different vans and taking them away. I've also seen where the military is marching up and down the streets um, with, with sticks uh, to beat people with. I've seen people being beaten over there as well. I mean, the Chinese government is a communist government and they, uh, they don't they don't really care about what the people think they only care about their own government and the elites that are in the government so there there's some very interesting things that are happening as we take a look at the coronavirus not to mention some very interesting revelations that have come out let me back up and say all these things about Wuhan the super lab these things have caught the attention of our own government, and we have people that are very much speculating about what do we do about this whole thing, because as we look at how we've outsourced so many things to China and how the coronavirus has shut down so much of China, this is going to have a dramatic impact, if this keeps going on, on our own economy and our own way of life and our own ability to be able to help our own people, especially when it comes to pharmaceutical drugs. Mm. So it's very interesting. And we look at, well, what caused all this outsourcing? And we know the answer to that whole thing, our economy and manufacturing, all those manufacturing jobs, 90% of that went over to China, cheap labor over there. Companies are making higher profits because they're able to get that cheap labor sure. from, from China. And now we're in a pickle because we've moved all those things over to China. And, you know, this is, so these are the issues that we're looking at. However, there's some other interesting things. Recently, uh, we found out that uh, the institutions of Harvard and Yale are accepting multiple hundreds of millions of dollars in investments from China. And now, it seems interesting. Why would that be happening? Why would China be investing in this, especially when we've seen, uh, I think it was Harvard in the news, that's been accused of discriminating against Asians coming in and not getting preference, even though they have the higher grades. Mm -hmm. So why would China be investing in this? Well, there's a program out there called the Thousand Talents, and it's a program that was initiated by China to get Chinese people, and in particular here in the United States, into high-ranking positions within the United States uh, to be able to send whatever their discoveries are back to 
China. And we're seeing this especially in the universities. There was a um, <clears throat> professor of chemistry out of Harvard that uh, was just found out that he, and he actually runs the science department there, that he has been doing research and being paid handsomely for research uh, scientific research that he's been secretly sending back to China. And we're seeing this happening not only there, but also in Yale. Texas A&M just did a, a, a research on this to find out, are there professors that we have that are also being paid by the Chinese government? And sure enough, they were able to find five people volunteered. Yes, we're being paid by the Chinese government, wow. which means that there's many more <clears throat> that's happening as well. So we're seeing these things. The last thing I'll say is here in California, we have one of the largest pension programs, state pension programs in the United States. And it turns out that the base of that pension program is subsidized by Chinese bonds. And this is a gigantic, or you could say a ginormous amount of money that we're talking about. If you start to look at the pension plans here in California, it's pretty amazing. It's a little different than other states where people are getting paid big money after they retire. Well, it's all based on investments that are in China, and these investments are going towards the military and weaponry of the Chinese government, including their space force. Now, oh. that is some pretty wild stuff. And uh, <clears throat> Barry, did you watch the um, Democratic debates last night? I was going to try to get you over to that. Uh, no, you know what I usually do to prepare for the show, which I hardly prepare this time, but I pull up Google News and I look at the headlines. And yeah, I was seeing that. I was like, oh, I totally forgot about it, but I have not. I wanted to ask you about it. Well, so what was really interesting about the uh, about the debates last night is that you had Michael Bloomberg on for the first time. Yeah. And boy, that Michael Bloomberg guy really gets under my skin, I got to tell you. Um, and, and there's a reason for it, and it's because he's running as a Democrat. Um, he's spent $421 million on advertising already. The next closest person on that stage is Bernie Sanders, who has spent $40 million. And the next closest is Joe Biden, who spent $12 million. So the next closest hasn't even been able to spend a tenth of what Mike Bloomberg has been able to spend. Now, in order to win the Democratic vote, you have to have the black vote. That you're not going to win if you don't have the black vote. Now, when you take a look at Mike Bloomberg, that means he's got to be able to get the black vote in order to win. And he's putting all this advertising out, especially regarding gun violence and how, uh, I don't know if you saw some of the commercials during the Super Bowl where there was a, um, a, a Mike Bloomberg ad where this woman, her son was killed by a gun. And, you know, if, if Mike Bloomberg's plan actually worked, he would still be alive and kids are getting killed. Well, it turns out that this woman, uh, yeah, she lost her son. It's terrible, but her son was about 21 years old. He wasn't a kid and it was because he was involved with a gang and it was gang violence. And that's really what the problem was. But you're seeing Mike Bloomberg out there really trying to appeal to the black vote. 
But the problem is, and they, they, he was on full frontal attack during, during the debates by Elizabeth Warren, by uh, Bernie Sanders, by, by Joe Biden, by Buttigieg, by Klobuchar. They were all attacking him on stop and frisk. Mm. And if you remember stop and frisk, his idea was the crimes are being committed by minorities between the ages of 15 and 30. So throw those people up against the wall, frisk them. Well, he tried to defend himself yesterday by saying, you know, yes, he, he believes that that was wrong. He's sorry about that. However, the murder rate was about 600 murders a year in New York. And as a result of stop and frisk, he was able to cut that in half. Well, that sounds good, and I'm all for cutting the murder rate in half, but when you violate the Constitution and people's unalienable rights to be able to accomplish that, then I'm not for it. Now, Mike Bloomberg has been on the record recently of saying that um, the Chinese government is not a dictatorship and that uh, the president of, of China has a constituency and he's got to be able to uh, listen to the constituency or he won't survive. Well, that's just wrong. And why would he say that? Well, I did a little bit of research and found out that Mike Bloomberg literally has billions of dollars invested in the Chinese market, mm. billions of dollars in Chinese bonds. Where does the where do those investments go? They go into the Chinese military. So how can a guy be the president of the United States? Uh, and also, how can this guy get the black vote when he obviously doesn't stand for anybody's constitutional rights, uh, let alone black people? Uh, and also, you're helping our greatest geopolitical uh, threat, which is China, at the same time. So those are things that I find extremely concerning. But as I watched the debate, that was pretty entertaining last night. Was I it? Mean, Maybe I should YouTube it. Right from the beginning, it was like war. I mean, they were really, really? going. It was it was quite a show. And boy, were they they were all really attacking each other. And as a Republican, I got to say, I found that to be pretty entertaining. Um, but if I if I take a look at it, uh, one of the things that Bernie said was uh, he called Mike Bloomberg's wealth immoral. And, I, and, you know, I thought that was one of Bloomberg's best when he came back and he said, wait a second, I worked for that money. How could it be immoral? And by the way, Bernie, you're a millionaire. So how is it that you're saying this? Mm -hmm. uh, that was one of my takes there. Elizabeth Warren, she comes off as extremely angry during this, but she had some great one-liners that were really? attacking Mike, Mike Bloomberg. And when you take a look at some of the things that Mike Bloomberg had said about women to women, uh, they were pretty devastating, actually. And one of the things that she was attacking was the non-disclosures that he had made many women sign mm -hmm. during his so. tenure there at Bloomberg. And uh, I thought that was really interesting. Would he, he, they were asking him to release these people from their non-disclosure agreements. What's your opinion on that, Barry? Well, I only just heard of that today. So I, I don't have the facts behind it. Like I said, I think I should go back and uh, YouTube that. It sounds like it should. It sounds like it was entertaining enough. Um, but I do want to say, as 
as discombobulated as a Democratic Party has been, the last thing they needed was Bloomberg to throw himself into yeah, this mess. Because he agree. is just, yeah. So they're, they'd be very smart to uh, temporarily align and beat the hell out of him. You know, get him, get him pretty much out of the race. I don't think he has a chance. I mean, I don't as you said, yeah, he just rubs everybody the wrong way. So he's wasting a whole lot of money. But yeah, it's. I, I just think that the Democratic Party is in such disarray that they really need to get rid of him. Well, some some people have suggested that what Mike Bloomberg may not even be trying to be the president. He's trying actually to just get Trump out of the office because if you yeah. look at his policies towards China, they're hurting his business. Oh, yeah, that's that's very interesting, and you're also right about that. that yeah, I didn't put that together. One last thing I'll say is uh, Joe Biden. I kind of felt sorry for Joe Biden last night. <laughs> I always night. do. <laughs> but it, there's something, I, you know, he says the most ridiculous things, but there's something about him where he's sort of like Uncle Joe, and you sure. can't help but kind of like him at the same sure. time. I know that I do, but um, one of the things that happened at the end of the debate was when they were giving their closing statements, suddenly you heard some people screaming in the audience in protest, and you couldn't tell what they were saying. He actually had to pause for about a minute, uh, which think about it, a minute on national TV is worth a lot of money. He had yeah. to pause for about a minute, and I found out this morning what they were yelling let me just go back and say this, that um, within the last week, Joe Biden was is on the record as saying that the dreamers, the first thing that he's going to do is he's going to uh, make them legal citizens. He also uh, defended himself about the uh, millions of people that the Obama administration deported and said that the kids that they had in cages was for their own protection and they got them out of there as quickly as possible. But they are the ones that started that kids in cages mm -hmm. well that's what the protest was about those people were screaming you deported three million people and they had to be dragged out of there mm. it seems to me like joe biden is done I oh yeah oh yeah he was done a long time ago in my opinion yeah i think so but too. who do they got left bloomberg i think we both can and we gotta wrap it up we're at uh an hour and nine but um and who do they got? Uh, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders? Well, here's the interesting thing, and, and it was something that Chuck Todd asked at the very end, which is the way that they run these uh, these uh, uh, primaries now, each person, even if you don't win, it used to be where you would get all the delegate votes, but now if you come in second or third, you you start to get delegate votes as well, which means this. When they get to the convention, normally you have a clear-cut winner who then becomes the Democratic um, nominee. Well, it's very possible because of the way things are going that they're going to be so close with their delegate votes that there won't be a clear cut. So you have to hit a certain number in order to be the, the, the person. And it looks like because of what's happening, including Mike Bloomberg being in it, by the time they get to the convention, none of them will have reached that threshold. And that's what's called a contested convention. And that's when it's going to get very interesting. And that means that Mike Bloomberg actually does have a chance to win it just like Bernie Sanders, and you can't rule out Joe Biden or, or Warren if they can hang in there. I do think that Buttigieg, 
as and he does come off as as smooth, mm-hmm. but I don't think that he's going to get the black vote. I, mm. I just don't think he's going to okay. be able to do that. One last thing I'll say, and mm-hmm. I know we need to wrap up. Mm-hmm. There was so much talk about black and brown people and about Latinos and and, all and they think about African Americans that it's first off as a black man, I felt like they were pandering to me, which made me have Always. a kind of a sick feeling. And mm-hmm. and anytime somebody does that. Uh, it, 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 you know, you, you know, you're going to be taken advantage of when that absolutely thing happens. And of course my wife, you know, uh, I, I'm, we're in a, a interracial marriage. Why, why isn't it justice for all? Why not be the president for all people? I never heard any one of them talk about white people. Do you know that there's more poor white people in the United States than any other race. What about them? <laughs> it, it really makes me angry that they're pandering so much. And I don't want to have a president that's just going to be a president to black and brown people. And by the way, black and brown people, wh- where did that come from? I thought I was African-American. and Latinos are brown people and I'm a black person. I'm a little confused because I'm kind of tan in color. Yeah. So, you know, it just seems so insulting. It, it, it is. It's insulting to my intelligence as a voter. Yes. And, and it's, it's all they got is divide and conquer. So they're always going to tell you that you're a victim and they're going to save you. Right. That's all they ever do. And, and, but things just keep getting better and better in this country is for everybody. You know, and I don't know. I, I don't think that it's working anymore. I, I think identity I politics, the, the ship has sailed. If you look up the walk away movement on Twitter. Yes. Oh, wow. The, the recordings are endless of saying exactly this by every average everyday Joe and Josephine out there. Hey, I want to say one thing that I forgot to say. Please uh, go to over50startingover.com and sign up so that you don't miss any of our podcasts. Leave us a comment. and You can leave comments on our YouTube channel and uh, at mail at over50startingover.com. Uh, parting words tomorrow. We, we're at a hour and 13 here. Wow. That's a long one, but it was a good one. And I think we had a lot of good subjects. Also like us on your uh, social media and share with your uh, constituents out there and your family and friends, because uh, we're getting a lot of feedback from people that are liking us and, and great feedback. So share with everybody. We really appreciate it. We love your comments too. Yeah, and don't get abducted. Don't let those aliens go. <laughs> we'll come back to that. Hey, next week we're we're going on on Wednesday though. So you, you'll see, you guys will see it on Thursday. That's correct? Is that correct? Yes, that is okay. correct. Okay. And I will be coming from sunny Florida for a change instead of uh gray Cleveland weather. So we're going to have to figure that one out, but we will. All right? See you next week, Merle. See you, Barry.